2 Samuel 21. It's been a long time since we were in 2 Samuel together. A whole month, in fact. And it'll be a few weeks between Family Bible Week finale next week and Tim McGill the next week until we get back to 2 Samuel again. So we've got to make each time in this book count. We have reached the end of the book. After nearly a year of working through both 1 and 2 Samuel together, we've reached the part at the end of 2 Samuel that really seems out of place. Some scholars call it the epilogue. Some call it the appendix. The reason is because the stuff in these four chapters are not chronological. They don't carry on the story of David. They go back and fill in the gaps of the picture that we've already read. But they aren't just a bunch of tacked-on items either. There's a lot of evidence that this is a carefully constructed section of 2 Samuel and not just some unnecessary appendix. These chapters are God's Word as well, and we'll give them our attention together. Today I want to look briefly at chapters 21 and 22, and mostly chapter 22 under the title, Worthy of Praise. But first we need to look at the sad and strange stories in chapter 21 before we get there. And before we do that, we should pray. Okay, would you join me? Father, thank you for what Sarah has shared about what you did in her life this last year in Jordan. We're thankful. I think most of us are just thankful for safety, that she went and she came back, because we think of that part of the world as being really dangerous. But she's much more concerned about gospel than safety. And we thank you for the work she did, for the relationships, for the seeds she sowed, for the way she loved on those uh, missionary kids which allowed their parents to be reaching out with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, for a blessing on her, for uh, your direction, for clarity about what she's supposed to do next and how, if it's your will, she would return. And Lord, we pray now that we would understand this passage of Scripture written just a few hundred miles away from where she was living. As King David bent over, and, and uh, wrote out these, this song for him to sing and for his people to sing. And then it got incorporated into our book that we have and we can look at this morning. Give us eyes to see what's here, Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. The title of this message again is Worthy of Praise from chapter 22, verse 4. For many of us, it's a very familiar verse. We've planned to sing it at the end of this uh, Uh, service, I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise and I'm saved from my enemies. Some of us grew up singing a song about that, right? Does anybody, that that just immediately calls to mind number 38 in the hymnal? Yeah. This was David's experience. He was saved from his enemies by the Lord and he gave praise to God. Well, in chapter 21, the first enemy we encounter was a severe famine. Look at chapter 21, verse 1. During the reign of David, there was a famine for three successive years. So David sought the face of the Lord. That would be a true enemy, wouldn't it? A famine that lasted three years. Imagine if your garden didn't grow for three years and there was no grocery store. That would threaten the continuing existence of Israel. And David could tell that this was a problem that had to be addressed through prayer. And we don't know exactly when this happened. It was probably after David had shown chesed, kindness, to Mephibosheth of chapter 9. But we do know that David sought the face of the Lord and God answered. The Lord said, it is on account of Saul 
and his blood-stained house. It is because he put the Gibeonites to death. Anybody remember the Gibeonites from the book of Joshua? The king summoned the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not a part of Israel, but were survivors of the Amorites. The Israelites had sworn to spare them, but Saul in his zeal for Israel and Judah had tried to annihilate them. Remember, Saul wasn't much of a king. He had broken Israel's covenant, broken Israel's solemn promises in the name of the Lord. And there needed to be some kind of restitution. Verse 3, David asked the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you? How shall I make amends? Literally, atonement. So that you will bless the Lord's inheritance. And they asked for something huge and very hard. The Gibeonites answered him, We have no right to demand silver or gold from Saul or his family, nor do we have the right to put anyone in Israel to death. Our courts don't have that power, even though it would be justice. What do you want me to do for you? David asked. They answered the king, As for the man who destroyed us and plotted against us so that we've been decimated and have no place anywhere in Israel, let seven of his male descendants be given to us to be killed and exposed before the Lord at Gibeah of Saul, the Lord's chosen one. So the king said, I will give them to you. The king spared Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the oath before the Lord between David and Jonathan, son of Saul. David is a king who does keep his promises. But the king took Armani and Mephibosheth, the two sons of Aya's daughter Rizpah, whom she had borne to Saul, together with the five sons of Saul's daughter Merab, whom she had borne to Adriel, son of Barzillai the Maholathite. He handed them over to the Gibeonites, who killed and exposed them on a hill before the Lord. All seven of them fell together. They were put to death during the first days of the harvest, just as the barley harvest was beginning. Now, I just have to say that I struggle to accept this. Every indication in the text is that this is both legal and just. In a minute we'll see that after God brings the rain. But what a terrible cost to be inflicted on these men because of their grandfather's sin. But true justice and atonement is not a pretty thing. It involves blood and death. So we don't explain this away or avert our eyes. This is terrible. But so is sin. So is breaking covenant. In his zeal for Israel and Judah, Saul forgot what should have been his zeal for the Lord. And he tried to exterminate the Gibeonites. And these men paid for it with their lives. It's profoundly sad. And it should remind us of the cross. When one man died a bloody, painful death to make atonement for our sin. Gruesome but real and very sad. Look at verse 10. Rizpah, daughter of Aya, took sackcloth and spread it out for herself on a rock. From the beginning of the harvest till the rain poured down from the heavens on the bodies. Could be weeks. She did not let the birds of the air touch them by day or the wild animals by night. A picture of motherly love. When David was told what Aya's daughter Rizpah, Saul's concubine, had done, he went and took the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan from the citizens of Jabesh-Gilead. They had taken them secretly from the public square at Bethshan, where the Philistines had hung them after they struck Saul down on Gilboa. David brought the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan from there, and the bones of those who had been killed and exposed were gathered up. They buried the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan in the tomb of Saul's father Kish at Zilah in Benjamin, and did everything the king commanded. After that, God answered prayer in behalf of the land. So they were saved. 
from the enemy of famine. Now some other kinds of enemies. Some really bad dudes who belong to the family of Rapha, who was apparently gigantic. Verse 15. Once again there was a battle between the Philistines and Israel. David went down with his men to fight against the Philistines and he became exhausted. And Ishbi Benob, one of the descendants of Rapha, whose bronze spearhead weighed 300 shekels and who was armed with a new sword, said he would kill David. Now do you get this picture? This one's, this one's for the comic books, okay? This one's for the movies. This appears to be earlier in David's reign. He's fighting the Philistines. And he had so many, as he had so many times, but this time he's gotten exhausted. You can see it in the movie, you know, there's lots of fighting. And he's like <sighs> hung over and he's kind of on the ropes, right? And this really bad dude, he's so big and strong. His name is Ishbi Benob, all right? And he says it like, Ishbi Benob. And David, he goes for the kill. He grabs this heavy spear and this new weapon and he threatens David and comes rushing at him in the battle. It looks like it's all over for King David. Verse 17. But Abishai, son of Zariah, came to David's rescue. He struck the Philistine down and killed him. Then David's men swore to him, saying, Never again will you go out with us to battle, so the lamp of Israel will not be extinguished. David was too valuable to go down like that. Verse 18. In the course of time, there was another battle with the Philistines at Gob. At that time, Sibachai the Hushathite killed Saph, one of the descendants of Rapha. In another battle with the Philistines at Gob, Elhanan, son of Jeraorigim, the Bethlehemite, killed Goliath the Gittite, another Goliath the Gittite, probably named after the one whom David had killed, who had a spear with a shaft like a weaver's rod. In still another battle which took place at Gath, there was a huge man with six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in all. He also was descended from Rapha. When he taunted Israel, Jonathan, son of Shimea, David's brother, killed him. These four bad guys were descendants of Rapha and Gath, and they fell at the hands of David and his men. Now, there are probably several points to this section that we could point out, some of which I don't understand yet. But the basic point is that God consistently rescued and gave victory to David and his men. Have we seen that? again and again over the last several months, that God consistently rescued and gave victory to David and his men. And David knew that. David recognized that. That's why he wrote chapter 22. Chapter 22 is basically a psalm. In fact, it became a psalm. Most of chapter 22 of 2 Samuel also appears in Psalm 18. And here's the point of chapter 22. The Lord is worthy of praise. Because he saved David over and over again. Worthy of praise. Look at verse 1. David sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So apparently David wrote this after his kingdom had been established. He said, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge, and my Savior. From violent men you save me. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I'm saved from my enemies. This is a great song. David lets loose with praise in this song. He is so intent on giving God the glory that he deserves, he pulls out all the stops. You know what I mean when he pull out all the stops? Use that phrase. That's from organs, right? 
the old organ, if you pull out all the stops, all of the air is going to rush to the organ and it's going to be loud. This is a loud psalm. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise and I'm saved from my enemies. Point number one this morning of three, the Lord is worthy of praise because He saved me. David piles words upon words to get across his praise of God. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. Did you? This is the uh, this is the psalm that we got our title of the whole series from. The Lord is my rock. He's he's unchanging. He's strong. He's safe. He's a rock, and he's not just any rock. He's what does David say? My rock. You see all the my's in there. I tend to see the adjectives, but all of those possessive pronouns. My rock. My fortress. My deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, my refuge, my Savior. Now, he's not saying that the Lord is not other people's rock as well. He's just exuberantly delighting in the fact that He belongs to Him. This is a great example here of delighting in our relationship with the Lord. And at the bottom of it, David says the Lord is worthy of His praise because He saved David again and again and again. This psalm is kind of like that poem we saw last week. Uh, The the David Bowden uh, video that we saw last week and how he just went on about how Jesus is the I Am and he just kind of kept on riffing on it and taking it all different places. That's what David is doing here. In verse 5, he tells the story. Now just so you know, this is poetry, okay? Who loves poetry? Raise your hand if you love poetry. Okay, for the seven of you, you're going to love this, okay? Some of the rest of us are more concrete and we have a hard time with poetry. Well, in this one, he's going to go off the charts with his language. You aren't supposed to take this literally, but everything he says is true when you get it. Okay, verse 5. The waves of death swirled about me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. That's every time David was in trouble. He's not talking about an accident he had in a lake. Okay, David has lived a life of trouble, but not alone. He's been chased, but not caught, right? And he cried out to God again and again. Verse 7, In my distress I called to the Lord. I called out to my God. From His temple He heard my voice. My cry came to His ears. The earth trembled and quaked. The foundations of the heavens shook. They trembled because He was angry. Who's troubling my son? Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his canopy around him. The dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, bolts of lightning blazed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot arrows and scattered the enemies. Bolts of lightning and routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed and the foundations of the earth laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord. At the blast of breath from his nostrils, he reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me up out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. You're supposed to read it like that. Now again, this is poetry. He's not saying that God literally pulled back the curtains of heaven and dropped out of it and started attacking David's enemies while riding on an angel. Okay? Shooting his arrows. Okay? 
That's, that's not what he's saying historically happened. He's saying that God rescued him again and again and again. And he did it powerfully, mysteriously, dreadfully. God is someone to fear. But David's foes were too strong for him. But not too strong for David's God. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I'm saved from my enemies. Who are your enemies? And has the Lord saved you from them? The world, the flesh, and the devil, right? The external, internal, and infernal enemies. And if you've called upon the Lord through salvation, for salvation through Jesus Christ, He saved you from your enemies. He saved us from our enemies. And He's worthy of praise. Amen? Here's the application. Never stop singing about your rescue. That's why we say, mighty, mighty Savior. The biggest take-home I have for this whole chapter is that David wrote a song. And he filled it full of, of this exor- exuberant, boisterous, high-spirited, extravagant, profuse, ebullient praise to the God who saved him. How much more should you and I praise God all the time for our rescue? Challenge. Those of us who went to Challenge, we sang all those worship songs. Have they been in your head all this week? Yeah, in a good way, right? Yeah, can't stop praising, right? Never stop singing about your rescue. Don't let it get old. Salvation is worth singing about. Now the second reason this song gives for why God is worthy of praise will probably surprise you. It's because He delighted in me. God is worthy of praise because He delighted in me. Look at verse 20. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because He delighted in me. The Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, He has rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I have not done evil by turning from my God. All His laws are before me. I have not turned away from His decrees. I have been blameless before Him and have kept myself from sin. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in His sight. Now wait just one second. Who wrote this one again? King David? And he says he's blameless, that he's not done evil, that he's never turned away from God's decrees and God is rewarding him with blessings that correspond to David's righteousness? Has he read the second half of 2 Samuel? Yes, that David. God is worthy of praise because he's rescued David because he delighted in David. David is not claiming to be sinless. We read that into it. That's not what he's saying. Blameless is not sinless. David is not claiming to be perfect. He's claiming to love God. David is claiming to have a heart for the heart of God. Yes, David sinned and sinned egregiously and he would agree with you if you pointed it out. But David also recognized his sin and repented. David was grieved by his sin and repented. The focus of David's life was not his own sin, but God's glory. We saw it again and again. David had a heart for the heart of God. 
David had not apostatized. He had not bailed. He had not turned away and stayed away. He had a heart for the heart of God, and God had always loved him for it. Here's the principle. With faith-filled obedience comes blessing. With unbelieving disobedience comes danger. And David, at this point in his story, can honestly say he believes God and obeys God and loves God, that he has a heart for the heart of God. Not that he deserves blessing as if he'd earned it, but that his heart for God goes hand in hand with God's heart for him and his desire to rescue and bless him. This is a reoccurring theme in the Psalms. It sounds to us as if the psalmist, as if their heads had got a little too big. I'm really righteous and i got clean hands and God rewards me. Oh yeah. But this is not pride, it's love. I love God and look what He did. Look how God loves those who love Him. Verse 26, To the faithful you show yourself faithful. To the blameless you show yourself blameless. To the pure you show yourself pure. But to the crooked you show yourself shrewd. You save the humble but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them low. The application of that is be delightful to God. Now don't try to earn God's favor. You can't. But show yourself faithful. Show yourself blameless. Show yourself pure. Show yourself humble. God loves to bless those who love Him. Cultivate a heart for the heart of God. Again, you can't impress God or earn your way with Him. But you can stand in the way of blessing by being the kind of man or woman God delights to bless. And part of that is a regular confession of your sins. Not pretending to be sinless, but truly being contrite. What can you do to cultivate faithfulness and blamelessness? Verse 26. What can you do to cultivate purity? Verse 27. What can you do to cultivate humility? Verse 28. Our God is worthy of our praise because He delights in us. And how much more do we know this on this side of the cross. Because we know that God looks at us now through the cross and delights in us as He does His very own Son. Be delightful to God. Live out of your new identity in Jesus. In the last section of this song, David just turns up the volume. He already had it on 10. Now he turns it to 11. And he sings of all the ways that God rescued and saved and empowered and gave him victory. Listen, verse 29. You are my lamp, O Lord. The Lord turns my darkness into light. With your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He's a shield to all who take refuge in Him. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. You give me your shield of victory. You stoop down to make me great. You broaden the path beneath me so my ankles do not turn. I pursued my enemies and crushed them. I did not turn back till they were destroyed. I crushed them completely. They could not rise. They fell beneath my feet. You armed me with strength for battle. You made my adversaries bow at my feet. You made my enemies turn their backs in flight and I destroyed my foes. They cried for help, but there was no one to save them. To the Lord, but He did not answer. I beat them as fine as the dust of the earth. I pounded and trampled them like mud in the streets. 
You have delivered me from the attacks of my people. You have preserved me as the head of nations. People I did not know are subject to me, and foreigners come cringing to me. As soon as they hear me, they obey me. They all lose heart. They come trembling from their strongholds. The Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. Exalted be God, the rock, my Savior. He is the God who avenges me who puts the nations under me, who sets me free from my enemies. You exalted me above my foes. From violent men you rescued me. Therefore I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing praises to your name. He gives his king great victories. He shows unfailing kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. Our God is worthy of our praise. Number three and last, because he keeps his promises. Now, it almost sounds like David is bragging, doesn't it? Oh yeah, I can bend a bull bronze. And there, oh, I crushed them all under my foot. I am so bad. He keeps saying how exalted he is and how much power over the nations he has. But notice where he gives all the glory. He's giving all the glory to God. He's saying that God has kept his promises to make a great name for David, to give him rest from his enemies, to rule. Verse 51 again, he gives his king great victories. He shows his unfailing kindness chesed, to his anointed Messiah, to David and his descendants forever. God always keeps his promises, especially to his Messiah. And because of that, he always deserves our trust and our praise. Verse 50, Therefore I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I'll sing praises to your name. I love verse 47. Look at all the exclamation marks in the NIV. The Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. Exalted be God, the rock, my Savior. He's he's so full of praise. We should all have moments when we don't have enough exclamation marks to say how good our God is. Trust Him. I invite you to trust Him for the first time or for the billionth time. He's worthy of your faith. Trust Him. Jesus died for our sins and came back to life to give us life. Exalted be God, the rock, my Savior. Trust Him. All of God's promises are yes in Jesus. Trust Him and praise Him. Never stop singing about your rescue. Be delightful to God by having a heart for His heart. And trust and praise Him with every exclamation mark in your soul. He's worthy of praise.